0: Section 12 of History of New England, Sixteen Thirty to Sixteen Forty Nine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, Sixteen Thirty to Sixteen Forty Nine by John Winthrop. Section 12, Sixteen Thirty Nine. Eleventh, January Fourteenth. The earthquake, which had continued at times since the first of the fourth, was more generally felt, and the same noise heard in many places. 30. A church was gathered at Weymouth with approbation of the magistrates and elders. It is observable this church, having been gathered before, and so that of Lynn, could not hold together, nor could have any elders join or hold with them. The reason appeared to be because they did not begin according to the rule of the gospel, which when Lynn had found and humbled themselves for it, and began again upon a new foundation, they went on with a blessing. The people of this town of Weymouth had invited one Mr. Linthal to come to them with intention to call him to be their minister. This man, though of good report in England, coming hither, was found to have drank in some of Mrs. Hutchinson's opinions, as of justification before faith, etc., and opposed the gathering of our churches in such a way of mutual stipulation as was practised among us. From the former he was soon taken off upon conference with Mr. Cotton, but he stuck close to the other that only baptism was the door of entrance into the church, etc., so as the common sort of people did eagerly embrace his opinions, and some labored to get such a church on foot as all baptized ones might communicate in without any further trial of them, etc. For this end they procured many hands and waymouth to a blank, intending to have Mr. Lenthal's advice to the frame of their call, and he likewise was very forward to become a minister to them in such a way, and did openly maintain the cause, But the magistrates, hearing of this disturbance and combination, thought it needful to stop at betimes, and ergo they called Mr. Linthal, and some of the chief of the faction, to the next general court in the first month, where Mr. Linthal, having before conferred with some of the magistrates and of the elders, and being convinced both of his error in judgment, and of his sin in practice to the disturbance of peace, etc., did openly and freely retract, with expression of much grief of heart for his offense, and did deliver his retraction in writing under his hand in the next open court whereupon he was enjoined to appear at the next court and in the meantime to make and deliver the like recantation in some public assembly at weymouth so the court stopped for any further censure by fine or etc though it was much urged by some at the same court one smith was convicted and fined twenty pounds for being a chief stirrer in the business and one sylvester was disfranchised and one Briton, who had spoken reproachfully of the answer which was sent to Mr. Barnard, his book against our church covenant, and of some of our elders, and had sided with Mr. Lenthal, etc., was openly whipped, because he had no estate to answer, etc. Month 1, March. A printing house was begun at Cambridge by one day, at the charge of Mr. Glover, who died on sea hitherward. The first thing which was printed was the Freeman's Oath, the next was an almanac made for New England by Mr. William Pierce, Mariner. The next was the psalms newly turned into meter. Footnote. See R. F. Roden, the Cambridge Press, 1638-1692, New York, 1905. William Pierce, maker of the almanac, was the active and versatile captain of the Lion and other ships, which has been often mentioned. Though this was the first press of New England, the Spaniards had been printing in Mexico since 1539 in footnote a plantation was begun by sandwich and was called yarmouth in plymouth jurisdiction another plantation was begun upon the north side of merrimack called sarisbury now colchester footnote now salisbury in footnote another at winnicoat called hampton which gave occasion of some difference between us and some of Pascataquac which grew thus mr wheelwright being banished from us gathered a company and sat down by the falls of Pascataquac And called their town Exeter, and for in their enlargement they dealt with an Indian there, and bought of him Winokawat, etc. And then wrote to us what they had done, and that they intended to lot out all these lands and farms except we could show a better title. They wrote also to those whom we had sent to plant Winokawat to have them desist, etc. These letters coming to the General Court, they returned answer, that they looked at this their dealing as against good neighborhood, religion, and common honesty that, knowing we claimed Winokawa as within our patent, or as vacuum domicilum, and had taken possession thereof by building an house there above two years since, they should now go and purchase an unknown title, and then come to inquire of our right. It was in the same letter also manifestly proved, that the Indians having only a natural right to so much land as they had or could improve, so as the rest of the country lay open to any that could and would improve it, as by the said letter more at large doth appear. In this year, when James Everall, a sober, discreet man and two others, saw a great light in the night at Muddy River, footnote. Muddy River became Brookline, Massachusetts, in footnote. When it stood still, it flamed up and was about three yards square. When it ran, it was contracted into the figure of a swine. It ran as swift as an arrow towards Charlton, and so up and down about two or three hours. They were come down in their lighter about a mile, and when it was over they found themselves carried quite back against the tide to the place they came from. Diverse other credible persons saw the same light after about the same place. The general court in the seventh month, September, last, gave order to the governor to write to them of Pascataquac, to signify to them that we looked at it as an unneighborly part, that they should encourage an advance such as we had cast out from us for their offenses, because they had inquired of us the cause, etc., The occasion of this letter was that they had aided Mr. Wheelwright to begin a plantation there, and intended to make Captain Underhill their governor in the room of Mr. Burdett, who had thrust out Captain Wigan, set in there by the lords, etc. Upon this, Captain Underhill, being chosen governor there, wrote a letter to a young gentleman, who sojourned in the house of our governor, wherein he reviles the governor with reproachful terms and imprecations of vengeance upon us all. This letter being showed to the governor and council, the governor, by advice, wrote the letter to Edward Hilton as is before-mentioned, page blank, month thin December 13th. The captain was so nettled with this letter, and especially because his adulterous life with the Cooper's wife at Boston was now discovered, and the church had called him to come and make answer to it, but he made many excuses as want of liberty being a banished man, yet the governor and council had sent him a safe conduct, and upon his pretense of the insufficiency of that, the general court sent him another for three months. But, instead of coming, he procured a new church at Piscataqua of some few loose men, who had chosen one Mr. Knowles, footnote. This was Hansard Knowles, famous among the early Baptists. A Lincolnshire man, of Cambridge training, he found a patron in the liberal Bishop Williams of Lincoln, through whom he obtained a living as a Church of England priest. Becoming a Separatist, he fled to New England, and appears in Winthrop's Journal, as Minister of Dover, on the Piscataqua. Returning to England after a few disturbed years of sojourn, he found the tolerant spirit of the Commonwealth congenial. As schoolmaster and preacher, he was successful and obtained offices lucrative and influential. After the Restoration, he was persecuted, undergoing banishment, imprisonment, and confiscation of property. He lived to the age of ninety two, preaching ev- even when he could no longer stand, and writing much. Though stigmatized as weak, He played a conspicuous part, and was buried in Bunhill Fields with many other great nonconformists. See Gordon in the Dictionary of National Biography. He appears to poor advantage in Winthrop, who could hardly be a candid judge of such a man. In footnote. A weak minister, lately come out of England, and rejected by us for holding some of Mrs. Hutchinson's opinions, to write to our church in Boston in his commendation, wherein they style him the right worshipful, their honored governor, all which, notwithstanding, the Church of Boston proceeded with him, and in the meantime the General Court wrote to all the chief inhabitants of Pascataquack, and sent them a copy of his letters, wherein he professeth himself to be an instrument ordained of God for our ruin, to know whether it were with their privity and consent that he sent us such a defiance, etc., and whether they would maintain him in such practices against us, etc. Those of Pascataquack returned answer to us by several letters those of the plantation disclaimed to have any hand in his miscarriages etc and offered to call him to account etc whensoever we would send any to inform against him the others at the river's mouth disclaimed likewise and showed their indignation against him for his insolences and their readiness to join in any fair course for our satisfaction only they desired us to have some compassion of him and not to send any forces against him after this captain underhill's courage was abated For the chiefest in the river fell from him, and the rest little regarded him, so as he wrote letters of retraction to diverse, and to show his wisdom he wrote a letter to the deputy in the court, not mentioning the governor, wherein he sent the copies of some of the governor's letters to Pascataquac, supposing that something would appear in them either to extenuate his fault or to lay blame upon the governor. But he failed in both, for the governor was able to make good what he had written. Sixteenth there was so violent a wind at south-south-east-and-south, south, south, as the like was not since we came into this land. It began in the evening and increased till midnight. It overturned some new strong houses, but the Lord miraculously preserved old wheat cottages. It tear down fences, people ran out of their houses in the night, etc. There came such a rain withal as raised the waters at Connecticut twenty feet above their meadows, etc., the indians near aquaday began pow in this tempest the devil came and fetched away five of them quare footnote quare here is the interpolation of a later hand in footnote at providence things grew still worse for a sister of mrs hutchinson the wife of one scott being infected with anabaptistry and going last year to live at providence mr williams was taken or rather emboldened by her to make open profession thereof and accordingly, was rebaptized by one holy man. Footnote: Ezekiel Holliman, one of eleven who founded the first Baptist church in America, a helper of Roger Williams, and an honored man. Magistracy was not wholly rejected either in Providence Plantation or on Rhode Island, though government was in most particulars reduced to its lowest terms. In footnote, a poor man, late of Salem. Then Mr. Williams rebaptized him and some ten more. They also denied the baptizing of infants, and would have no magistrates. At Aquaday, also, Mrs. Hutchinson exercised publicly, and she and her party, some three or four families, would have no magistracy. She sent also an admonition to the Church of Boston, but the elders would not read it publicly, because she was excommunicated. By these examples we may see how dangerous it is to slight the censures of the Church, for it was apparent that God had given them up to strange delusions those of Aquaday also had entertained two men whom the church of roxbury had excommunicated and one of them did exercise publicly there for this the church of boston called in question such of them as were yet their members and mr coddington being present not freely acknowledging his sin though he confessed himself in some fault was solemnly admonished this is further to be observed in the delusions which this people were taken with mrs hutchinson and some of her adherents happened to be at prayer when the earthquake was at aqua etc and the house being shaken thereby they are persuaded and boasted of it that the holy spirit did shake it in coming down upon them as he did upon the apostles second april a plantation was begun between ipswich and Newbury. the occasion was this mr eaton and mr davenpoint having determined to sit down at quinnipiac there came over one mr ezekiel rogers footnote, Ezekiel Rogers, already mentioned, preferred Massachusetts to Quinnipiac, New Haven, founding Rowley as a in footnote, second son of that truly faithful servant of God, Mr. Richard Rogers of Wethersfield in England, and with him some twenty families, godly men, and most of them of good estate. This Mr. Rogers, being a man of special note in England for his zeal, piety, and other parts, they labored by all means to draw with them to Quinnipiac, and had so far prevailed with him, being newly come and unacquainted with the state of the country, as they had engaged him, yet being a very wise man, and considering that many of quality in England did depend upon his choice of a fit place for them, he agreed upon such propositions and cautions as, though they promised to fulfill them all, whereupon he sent diverse of his people thither before winter, yet, when it came to, they were not able to make good what they had promised. Whereupon he consulted with the elders of the bay, and, by their advice, etc., Holding his former engagement released, he and his people took that place by ipswich and Because some farms had been granted by Ipswich and Newbury, which would be prejudicial to their plantation, they bought out the owners dispersing therein about eight hundred pounds and He sent a pinnace to Quinnipiac to fetch back the rest of his people. but Mister Eaton and Mister Davenport and others of Connecticut, being impatient of the loss of him and his people, stayed the pinnace and sent a messenger with letters of purpose to recover him again this made him to desire the elders to assemble again and he showed them the letters they sent which wanted no arguments though some truth but he made the case so clear by letters which had passed between them etc as they held him still free from all engagement and so he returned answer to them and went on with his plantation the indians of block island sent for their tribute this year Ten fathom of wampampiake one mr howe of lynn a godly man and a deputy of the last general court after the court was ended and he had dined being in health as he used to be went to pass over to charleston and being alone he was presently after found dead upon the strand being there as it seemed waiting for the boat which came soon after three may second mr Con preaching out of the eighth of kings eight. Taught that when magistrates are forced to provide for the maintenance of ministers, etc., then the churches are in a declining condition. There he showed that the minister's maintenance should be by voluntary contribution, not by lands or revenues or tithes, for those have always been accompanied with pride, contention, and sloth, etc. Footnote. Cotton's adoption of congregationalism was gradual, but now he had been long thoroughly committed to his principles. In footnote. Eleventh. The two chief sachems of Narragansett sent the governor a present of thirty fathom of Wampum, and Sequin, the sachem of Connecticut, sent ten fathom. At Aquaday the people grew very tumultuous, and put out Mr. Coddington and three other magistrates, and chose Mr. William Hutchinson only, a man of a very mild temper and weak parts, and wholly guided by his wife, who had been the beginner of all the former troubles in the country, and still continued to breed disturbance. Footnote probably william hutchinson does not deserve such contemptuous treatment though no doubt less able and forceful than his wife he stood by her loyally as did their children he had the respect of his neighbors as this election to high office shows and was the progenitor of one of the most illustrious of massachusetts families savage in a protracted note gives reasons for doubting the accuracy of this picture of affairs in aqua in footnote they also gathered at church in a very disordered way for they took some excommunicated persons and others who were members of the church of Boston and not dismissed. 6. The two regiments in the bay were mustered at Boston to the number of one thousand soldiers, able men, and well armed and exercised. They were led, the one by the governor, who was general of all, and the other by the deputy, who was colonel, etc. The captains, etc., showed themselves very skillful and ready to in divers sorts of skirmishes and other military actions, wherein they spent the whole day. Footnote: For an interesting contemporary account of the military organization of early Massachusetts, see Johnson, Wonderworking Providence, Book Three, Chapter Twenty Six. In footnote, one of Pascataquac, having opportunity to go into Mister Bird at his study, and finding there the copy of his letter to the archbishops sent to the governor, which was to this effect, that he did delay to go into England because he would fully inform himself of the state of the people here in regard of allegiance and that it was not discipline that was now so much aimed at as sovereignty, and that it was accounted perjury and treason in our general courts to speak of appeals to the king. Footnote. The temper of the colonists is not misrepresented here. In footnote. The first ships which came this year brought him letters from the archbishops and the lord's commissioners for plantations, wherein they gave him thanks for his care of his majesty's service, etc., and that they would take a time to regress such disorders as he had informed them of, etc., but by reason of the much business now lay upon them they could not at present accomplish his desire. These letters lay above fourteen days in the bay, and some moved the governor to open them, but himself and others of the council thought it not safe to meddle with them, nor would take any notice of them, and it fell out well by God's good providence, for the letters, by some means, were opened, yet without any of their privity or consent, and Mr. Burdett threatened to complain of it to the lords, and afterwards we had knowledge of the contents of them by some of his own friends. The governor received letters from Mr. Cradock, and in them another order from the lords commissioners to this effect, that, whereas they had received our petition upon their former order, etc., by which they perceived that we were taken with some jealousies and fears of their intentions, etc., they did accept of our answer and did now declare their intention to be only to regulate all plantations to be subordinate to the said commission and that they meant to continue our liberties etc and therefore did now again preemptorily require the governor to send them our patent by the first ship and that in the meantime they did give us by that order full power to go on in the government of the people until we had a new patent sent us and withal they added threats of further course to be taken with us if we failed this order being imparted to the next general court some advised to return answer of it others thought fitter to make no answer at all because being sent in a private letter and not delivered by a certain messenger as a former order was they could not proceed upon it because they could not have any proof that it was delivered to the governor an order was taken that mr cradock's agents who delivered the letter to the governor etc should in his letters to his master make no mention of the letters he delivered to the governor seeing his master had not laid any charge upon him to that end. Mr. Haynes, the governor of Connecticut, and Mr. Hooker, etc., came into the bay, and stayed near a month. It appeared by them that they were desirous to renew the Treaty of Confederation with us, and though themselves would not move it, yet, by their means, it was moved to our general court and accepted. For they were in some doubt of the Dutch, who had lately received a new governor, a more discreet and sober man than the former, footnote, The new Dutch governor was William Keeft, in footnote, and one who did complain much of the injury done to them at Connecticut, and was very forward to hold correspondency with us, and very inquisitive how things stood between us and them of Connecticut, which occasioned us the more readily to renew the former treaty, that the Dutch might not take notice of any breach or alienation between us. 22nd. The court of elections was, at which time there was a small eclipse of the sun, mr winthrop was chosen governor again though some labouring had been by some of the elders and others to have changed not out of dislike of him for they all loved and esteemed him but out of their fear lest it might make way for having a governor for life which some had propounded as most agreeable to god's institution and to the practice of all well-ordered states but neither the governor nor any other attempted the thing though some jealousies arose which were increased by two occasions the first was there being want of assistance the governor and other magistrates thought fit in the warrant for the court to profound a three amongst which mr downing the governor's brother-in-law footnote, emmanuel downing and his wife lucy sister of the governor arrived shortly before and were properly held in great consideration In footnote, was one which they conceived to be done to strengthen his party and therefore though he had known to be a very able man etc and one who had done many good offices for the country for these ten years let the people would not choose him another occasion of their jealousy was the court finding the number of deputies to be much increased by the addition of new plantations thought fit for the ease both of the country and the court to reduce all towns to two deputies this occasion some to fear that the magistrates intended to make themselves stronger and the deputies weaker and so in time to bring all power into the hands of the magistrates, so as the people in some towns were much displeased with their deputies for yielding to such an order. Whereupon, at the next session, it was profounded to have the number of deputies restored, and allegations were made that it was an infringement of their liberty, so as, after much debate, and such reason given for diminishing the number of deputies, and clearly proved that the liberty consisted not in the number but in the thing diverse of the deputies, who came with intent to reverse the last order were by force of reason brought to uphold it so that when it was put to the vote the last order for two deputies only was confirmed yet the next day a petition was brought to the court from the freemen of roxbury to have the third deputy restored whereupon the reasons of the court's proceeding were set down in writing and all objections answered and sent to such towns as were unsatisfied with this advice that if any could take away those reasons or bring us better for what they did desire we should be ready at the next court to repeal the said order the hands of some of the elders learned and godly men were to this petition though suddenly drawn in and without due consideration for the lawfulness of it may well be questioned For when the people have chosen men to be their rulers, and to make their laws, and bound themselves by oath to submit thereto, now combine together a lesser part of them in a public petition to have any order repealed, which is not repugnant to the law of God, savors of resisting an ordinance of God. For the people, having deputed others, have no power to make or alter laws, but are to be subject, and if any such order seem unlawful or inconvenient. They were better prefer some reasons, etc., to the court with manifestation of the desire to move them to a review, than preemptorily to petition to have it repealed, which amounts to a plain reproof of those whom God hath set over them, and putting dishonor upon them against the tenor of the fifth commandment. There fell out of this court another occasion of increasing the people's jealousy of the magistrates, Viz, one of the elders, being present with those of his church, when they were to prepare their votes for the election declared his judgment that a governor ought to be for his life alleging for his authority the practice of all the best commonwealths in europe and especially that of israel by god's own ordinance but this was opposed by some other of the elders with much zeal and so notice was taken of it by the people not as a matter of dispute but as if there had been some plot to put it in practice which did occasion the deputies at the next session of this court to deliver in an order drawn to this effect that whereas our sovereign lord king charles etc had by his patent established a governor deputy and assistants that therefore no person chosen a councillor for life should have any authority as a magistrate except he were chosen in the annual elections to one of the said places of magistracy established by the patent this being thus bluntly tendered no mention being made thereof before the governor took time to consider of it before he would put it to vote So when the court was risen, the magistrates advised of it, and drew up another order to this effect, that whereas at the court in blank it was ordered, that a certain number of magistrates should be chosen to be a standing council for life, etc., whereupon some had gathered that we had erected a new order of magistrates not warranted by our patent, this court doth therefore declare that the intent of the order was, that the standing council should always be chosen out of the magistrates, etc., and therefore it is now ordered that no such counsellor shall have any power as a magistrate, nor shall do any act as a magistrate, etc., except he be annually chosen, etc., according to the patent, and this order was after passed by vote. That which led those of the council to yield to this desire of the deputies was, because it concerned themselves, and they did more study to remove these jealousies out of the people's heads, than to preserve any power or dignity to themselves above others. For till this court those of the council viz. Mr. Indicott and stood and executed as a magistrate, without any annual election, so they had been reputed by the elders and all the people till this present. But the order was drawn up in this form, that it might be of less observation and freer from any note of injury to make this alteration rather by way of explanation of the fundamental order, than without any cause shown to repeal that which had been established by serious advice of the elders, and had been in practice two or three years without any inconvenience and here may be observed how strictly the people would seem to stick to their patent where they think it makes for their advantage but are content to decline it where it will not warrant such liberties as they have taken up without warrant from thence as appears in their strife for three deputies etc when as the patent allows them none at all but only by inference etc voting by proxies etc footnote at the court at which vane was elected a council for life appointed from the magistrates was determined upon following a suggestion of Lord Say and Sell. Into this council were put Winthrop Dudley and a year later Endicott. Palfrey thinks this aristocratic innovation was set up in the hope of attracting over some high-born men, but it found no favor with the people and dropped out of the polity. Palfrey, History of New England, Volume 1, page 441, 555, and 614. in footnote. The governor acquainted the general court that, in these two last years of his government, he had received from the Indians in presents, to the value of about forty pounds, and that he had spent about twenty pounds in entertainments of them and in presents to their sachems, etc. The court declared that the presents were this governor's due, but the tribute was to be paid to the treasurer. Fifteenth. Mr. Indicott and Mr. Stoughton, commissioners for us, and Mr. Bradford and Mr. Winslow of Plymouth, met at Hingham about deciding the difference between us concerning our bounds, our commissioners had full power to determine, etc, but theirs had not, although they had notice of it long before and themselves had appointed the day. Whereupon the court ordered that those of Hingham should make use of all the land near Coney hasset footnote Coney hasset now Cohasset, see Bradford's account of the dispute, history of Plymouth plantation, pages three forty nine and three fifty in footnote to the creek near situate till the court should take further order, and a letter was directed to the governor of Plymouth to the same effect, with declaration of the reasons of our proceeding, and readiness to give them a further meeting. The charges of their commissioner's diet was defrayed to us, because they met us within our own jurisdiction. Those of Exeter replied to our answer, standing still to maintain the Indians' right and their interest thereby. But in the meantime, we had sent men to discover Merrimack, and found some part of it about Pincook, footnote, Pincook or Pinnacook, now Concord, New Hampshire, in footnote, to lie more northerly than forty-three and a half. So we returned answer to them that, though we would not relinquish our interest by priority of possession for any right they could have from the Indians, yet, seeing they had professed not to claim anything which should fall within our patent, we would look no further than that in respect of their claim. One Mr. Ryle, having gotten a patent at Sagadahoc out of the grand patent, footnote, presumably the royal patent of April 3, 1639, by which Maine was granted to Gorges, in footnote, wrote to our governor, and tendered it to our government, so as we would send people to possess it. The governor acquainted the general court with it, but nothing was done about it, for we were not ready for such a business, having enough to do at home. 26. Mr. Hooker, being to preach at Cambridge, the governor and many others went to hear him, though the governor did very seldom go from his own congregation upon the lord's day he preached in the afternoon and having gone on with much strength of voice and intention of spirit about a quarter of an hour he was at a stand and told the people that god had deprived him both of his strength and matter etc and so went forth and about half an hour after returned and went on to very good purpose about two hours there was about this time a very great drought all over the country both east and west there being little or no rain from the twenty-sixth of the twenty-second month to the tenth of the fourth so as the corn generally began to wither in great fear there was it would all be lost whereupon the general court conferred with the elders and agreed upon a day of humiliation about a week after the very day after the fast was appointed there fell a good shower and within one week after the day of humiliation was past, we had such store of rain and so seasonably as the corn revived and gave hope of a very plentiful harvest when the court and the elders were met about it they considered of such things as were amiss which might provoke god against us and agreed to acquaint their church therewith that they might be stirred up to bewail and reform them four june we were much afraid this year of a stop in england by reason of the complaints which had been sent against us and the great displeasure which the archbishops and others the commissioners for plantations had conceived and uttered against us both for those complaints and also for our not sending home our patent but the lord wrought for us beyond all expectation for the petition which we returned in answer of the order sent for our patent was read before the lords and well accepted as is before expressed and ships came to us from england and diverse other parts with great store of people and provisions of all sorts about this time our people came from isle sable A bark went for them on the second of the first month, but by foul weather she was wrecked there, and of her ruins they made a small one wherein they returned. It was found to be a great error to send thither before the middle of the second month. They had gotten store of seal oils and skins, and some horse teeth and black fox skins, but the loss of the vessel, etc., overthrew the hope of the design. The island is very healthful and temperate. We lost not one man in two years, nor any sick, etc., 5. July. The rent at Connecticut grew greater, notwithstanding the great pains which had been taken for healing it, so as the church of Wethersfield itself was not only divided from the rest of the town, etc., but of those seven which were the church, four fell off, so as it was conceived, that thereby the church was dissolved, which occasioned the members of Watertown here, which had diverse of their members there not yet dismissed, to send two of their church to look after their members and to take order with them but the contention and alienation of minds was such as they could not bring them to any other accord than this that the one party must remove to some other place which they both consented to but still the difficulty remained for those three who pretended themselves to be the church pleaded that privilege for their stay and the others alleged their multitude etc so as neither would give place whereby it seemed that either they minded not the example of abraham's offer to lot or else they wanted abraham's spirit of peace and love This controversy, having called in Mr. Davenport and others of Quillipiac for mediation, and they not according with those of Connecticut about the case, gave advantage to Satan to sow some seeds of contention between those plantations also. But, being godly and wise men on both parts, things were easily reconciled. In this month there arrived two ships at Quillipiac. One was of 350 tons, wherein came Mr. Finwick, footnote, George Fenwick, a man of high birth and fortune, had as a wife savage believes, a daughter of Sir Arthur Hasselrig, a statesman and soldier of much note in the English Commonwealth. His part in Connecticut was important, but his name fails of frequent mention, perhaps because of his return to England, where he attained distinction. See Hutchinson, History of Massachusetts Bay, Volume one, page one hundred in footnote and his lady and family to make a plantation at Saybrook upon the mouth of Connecticut. Two other plantations were begun beyond Quillipiac, and every plantation intended a peculiar government. There were also diverse new plantations begun this summer here and at Plymouth, as Colchester, footnote, Colchester soon became Salisbury, in footnote, upon Merrimack, Sudbury by Concord, Winnicott was named Hampton, Yarmouth, and Barnstable by Cape Cod captain underhill having been dealt with and convinced of his great sin against god and the churches and state here etc returned to a better mind and wrote diverse letters to the governor and deputy etc bewailing his offences and craving pardon there was sent to the governor the copy of a letter written into england by mr hansard knowles of pescatuquack wherein he had most falsely slandered this government as that it was worse than the high commission etc and that here was nothing but oppression etc and not so much as a face of religion. The governor acquainted one of Pascadequack, Mr. Knowles' special friend, with it. Whereupon Mr. Knowles became very much perplexed and wrote to the governor, acknowledging the wrong he had done us and desired that his retraction might be published. Footnote. Answered Knowles had grounds for criticism, as the journal shows. Retraction seems to have been common among these heretics and dissentients when brought to account but exile prison the bilboes and the whip were terrifying penalties in footnote the governor sent his letter into england and kept a copy of it at providence matters went after the old manner. mr williams and many of his company a few months since were in all haste rebaptized and denied communion with all others and now he was come to question his second baptism not being able to derive the authority of it from the apostles otherwise than by the ministers of england whom he judged to be ill authority so as he conceived god would raise up some apostolic power therefore he bent himself that way expecting as was supposed to become an apostle and having a little before refused communion with all save his own wife now he had preached to and pray with all comers whereupon some of his followers left him and returned back from whence they went 6 august 27th here came a small bark from the west indies One Captain Jackson in her, with commission from the Westminster Company to take prize, etc., from the Spaniard. He brought much wealth in money, plate, indigo, and sugar. He sold his indigo and sugar here for fourteen hundred pounds, wherein he furnished himself with commodities and departed again for the West Indies. A fishing trade was begun at Cape Ann by one Maris Thompson, a merchant of London and an order was made that all stocks employed in fishing should be free from public charge for seven years. This was not done to encourage foreigners to set up fishing among us, for all the gains would be returned to the place where they dwelt, but to encourage our own people to set upon it, in an expectation that Mr. Thompson, etc., would ere long come settle with us. 7. September Here was such store of exceeding large and fat mackerel upon our coast this season, as was a great benefit to all our plantations. Some one boat with three men would take, in a week, ten hogsheads, which was sold at Connecticut for 3.12 pounds, the hogshead. There were such swarms of small flies, like moths, come from the southward, that they covered the sea and came flying like drifts of snow, but none of them were seen upon the land. Seventh September 17th. A church was gathered at the mount. Footnote, Mount Wollaston, in footnote. 4th. At the general court at Boston, one Mr. Nathaniel Eaton, brother to the merchant at Quillipiac, footnote, i.e. to Theophilus Eaton of New Haven, in footnote, was convicted and censured. The occasion was this. He was a schoolmaster and had many scholars, the sons of gentlemen and others of best note in the country, and had entertained one Nathaniel Briscoe, a gentleman born, to be his usher, and to do some other things for him, which might not be unfit for a scholar he had not been with him above three days but he fell out with him for a very small occasion and with reproachful terms discharged him and turned him out of his doors but it being then about eight of the clock after the sabbath he told him he should stay till next morning and some words growing between them he struck him and pulled him into his house briscoe defended himself and closed with him and being parted he came in and went up to his chamber to lodge there mr eden sent for the constable who advised him first to admonish him etc and if he could not by the power of a master reform him then he should complain to the magistrate Boni caused his man to fetch him a cudgel which was a walnut tree plant big enough to have killed the horse and a yard in length and taking his two men with him he went up to briscoe and caused his men to hold him till he had given him two hundred stripes about the head and shoulders etc and so kept him under blows with some two or three short intermissions about the space of two hours, about which time Mr. Shepherd and some others of the town came in at the outcry, and so he gave over. In this distress, Briscoe got out his knife and struck at the man that held him, but hurt him not. He also fell to prayer, supposing he should have been murdered, and then Mr. Eaton beat him for taking the name of God in vain. After this, Mr. Eaton and Mr. Shepherd, who knew not then of these passages, came to the governor and some other of the magistrates complaining of briscoe for his insolent speeches and for crying out murder and drawing his knife and desired that he might be enjoined to a public acknowledgment etc the magistrates answered that they must first hear him speak and then they would do as they should see cause mr eaton was displeased at this and went away discontented etc and being after called into the court to make answer to the information which had been given by some who knew the truth of the case and also to answer for his neglect and cruelty and other ill usage toward his scholars one of the elders not suspecting such miscarriages by him came to the governor and showed himself much grieved that he should be publicly produced alleging that it would derogate from his authority and reverence among the scholars etc but the cause went on notwithstanding and he was called and these things laid to his charge in the open court his answers were full of pride and disdain telling the magistrates that they should not need to do anything herein, for he was intended to leave his employment. And being asked why he used such cruelty to briscoe his usher, and to other his scholars, for it was testified by another of his ushers and diverse of his scholars, that he would give them between twenty and thirty stripes at a time, and would not leave till they had confessed what he required, his answer was that he had this rule, that he would not give over correcting till he had subdued the party to his will being also questioned about the ill and scant diet of his boarders, for though their friends gave large allowance, yet their diet was ordinarily nothing but porridge and pudding, and that very homely, he put it off to his wife. Footnote. Savage gives here a curious paper, apparently the confession of Mrs. Eden, detailing the hardships of old-time students. Of this we quote some portions. For the breakfast, then it was not so well ordered, the flour not so fine as it might, nor so well boiled or stirred at all times than it was so, it was my sin of neglect and want of that care that ought to have been in one that the Lord had entrusted with such a work. And that they had not so good or so much provision in my husband's absence as presents, I conceived it was, because he would call sometimes for butter or cheese, when I conceived there was no need of it, yet forasmuch as the scholars did otherwise apprehend i desire to see the evil that was in the carriage of that as well as in the other and to take shame to myself for it and that they sent down for more when they had not enough and the maid should answer if they had not they should not i must confess that i have denied them cheese when they have sent for it and it have been in the house for which i shall humbly beg pardon of them and own the shame and confess my sin for the more probably a slave his lying in sam how sweet and pillow beer it had the truth in it he did so one time and it gave sam hugh just cause of offence and that it was not prevented by my care and watchfulness a desire to take the shame and the sorrow for it for beer and bread that it was denied them by me betwixt meals truly i do not remember that ever i did deny it unto them and john wilson will affirm that generally the bread and beer was free for the boarders to go unto and for their wanting beer betwixt brewings, a week or half a week together, I am sorry that it was so at any time, and tremble to have it so, were it in my hands to do it again. Hugh and Wilson, mentioned in the passage, were sons respectively of a magistrate and elder, and the institution was Harvard College. In footnote. So the court dismissed him at present, and commanded him to attend again the next day, when, being called, he was commanded to the lower end of the table, where all offenders do usually stand, and being openly convict of all the former offences by the oaths of four or five witnesses he yet continued to justify himself so it being near night he was committed to the marshal till the next morning when the court was set in the morning many of the elders came into the court it being then private for matter of consultation and declared how the evening before they had taken pains with him to convince him of his faults yet for diverse hours he had still stood to his justification but in the end he was convinced and had freely and fully acknowledged his sin and that with tears so as they did hope he had truly repented and therefore desired of the court that he might be pardoned and continued in his employment alleging such further reasons as they thought fit after the elders were departed the court consulted about it and sent for him and there in the open court before a great assembly he made a very wise solid eloquent and serious seeming confession condemning himself in all the particulars, etc. Whereupon, being put aside, the court consulted privately about his sentence, and though many were taken with his confession, and none but had a charitable opinion of it, yet because of the scandal of religion and offense which would be given to such as might intend to send their children hither, they all agreed to censure him and put him from that employment. So being called in, the governor, after a short preface, etc., declared the sentence of the court to this effect viz that he should give Briscoe thirty pounds, find a hundred marks, and debarred teaching of children within our jurisdiction. A pause being made in expectation that, according to his former confession, he would have given glory to God and acknowledged the justice and clemency of the court, the governor giving him an occasion, by asking him if he ought to say, he turned away with a discontented look, saying, if sentence be passed, then it is no end to speak yet the court remitted his fine to twenty pounds and willed briscoe to take twenty pounds the church at cambridge taking notice of these proceedings intended to deal with him the pastor moved the governor if they might without offence to the court examine other witnesses his answer was that the court would leave them to their own liberty but he saw not to what end they should do it seeing there had been five already upon oath and those whom they should examine should speak without oath And it was an ordinance of God that by the mouths of two or three witnesses every matter should be established. But he soon discovered himself, for ere the church could come to deal with him, he fled to Pascataquac, and, being pursued and apprehended by the governor there, he again acknowledged his great sin in flying, etc., and promised, as he was a Christian man, he would return with the messengers. But because his things he carried with him were aboard a bark there bound to Virginia, he desired leave to go fetch them which they assented unto and went with him three of them aboard with him so he took his truss and came away with them in the boat but being come to the shore and two of them going out of the boat he caused the boatsmen to put off the boat and because the third man would not go out he turned him into the water where he had been drowned if he had not saved himself by swimming so he returned to the bark and presently they sent sail and went out to the harbour Being thus gone, his creditors began to complain, and thereupon it was found that he was run in debt about a thousand pounds, and had taken up most of this money upon bills he had charged into England upon his brother's agents, and others whom he had no relation to. So his estate was seized and put into commissioners' hands to be divided among his creditors, allowing somewhat for the present maintenance of his wife and children. And being thus gone, the church proceeded and cast him out he had been sometimes initiated among the jesuits and coming into england his friends drew him from them but it was very probable he now intended to return to them again being at this time about thirty years of age and upwards see after september seventeen mount wollaston had been formerly laid to boston but many poor men having lots assigned them there and not being able to use those lands and dwell still in boston they petitioned the town first to have a minister there and after to have leave to gather a church there, which the town at length, upon some small composition, gave way unto. So this day they gathered a church after the usual manner, and chose one Mr. Thompson, a very gracious, sincere man, and Mr. Flint, a godly man also, their ministers. Month 9. November. At a general court holden at Boston, great complaint was made of the oppression used in the country in sale of foreign commodities. and Mr. Robert Keen. footnote, Robert Keene, here disciplined for extortion, lived long in the colony, a rich and well-connected man. His daughter married a son of Thomas Dudley, and he himself was brother-in-law of John Wilson. He appeared again in the story, sometimes following into disfavor, though commonly a man well at the front. In footnote, who kept a shop in Boston, was notoriously above others observed and complained of, and being convicted, he was charged with many particulars. In some for taking above sixpence in the shilling profit, in some above eight pence, and in some small things above two for one, and being hereof convict, as appears by the records, he was fined two hundred pounds, which came thus to pass. The deputies considered a part of his fine, and set it at two hundred pounds, the magistrates agreed but to one hundred pounds. So the court being divided, at length it was agreed that his fine should be two hundred pounds, but he should pay but one hundred pounds, and the other should be respited to the further consideration of the next general court by this means the magistrates and deputies were brought to an accord which otherwise had been not likely and so much trouble might have grown and the offender escaped censure for the cry of the country was so great against oppression and some of the elders and magistrates had declared such detestation of the corrupt practices of this man which was the more observable because he was wealthy and sold dearer than most other tradesmen and for that he was of ill report for the like covetous practice in England, that incensed the deputies very much against him. And sure, the course was very evil, especial circumstances considered. One, he being an ancient professor of the gospel, two, a man of eminent parts, three, wealthy and having but one child, fourth, having come over for conscience sake and for the advancement of the gospel here, fifth, having been formally dealt with and admonished both by private friends and also by some of the magistrates and elders and having promised reformation being a member of a church and commonwealth now in their infancy and under the curious observation of all churches and civil states in the world these added much aggravation to a sin in the judgment of all men of understanding yet most of the magistrates though they discerned of the offense clothed with all the circumstances would have been more moderate in their censure First because there was no law-enforced to limit or direct men in point of profit in their trade, second, because it is the common practice in all countries for men to make use of advantages for raising the prices of their commodities, three, because, though he were chiefly aimed at, yet he was not alone in this fault, fourth, because all men through the country, in sale of cattle, corn, labor, etc., were guilty of the like excess in prices, fifth, because a certain rule could not be found out for an equal rate between buyer and seller though much labor had been bestowed in it and diverse laws had been made which upon experience were repealed as being neither safe nor equal lastly and especially because the law of god appoints no other punishment but double restitution and in some cases as where the offender freely confesses and brings his offerings only half added to the principle after the court had censured him The church of boston called him also in question where as before he had done in the court he did with tears acknowledge and bewail his covetous and corrupt heart yet making some excuse for many of the particulars which were charged upon him as partly by pretense of ignorance of the true price of his wares and chiefly by being misled by some false principles as one that if a man lost in one commodity he might help himself in the price of another two, that if, through want of skill or other occasion, his commodity cost more than the price of the market in England, he might then sell it for more than the price of the market in New England, etc. These things gave occasion to Mr. Cotton, in his public exercise the next lecture day, to lay open the error of such false principles, and to give some rules of direction in the case. Some false principles were these. First, that a man might sell as dear as he can, and buy as cheap as he can. Second, if a man lose by casualty of sea etc in some of his commodities he may raise the price of the rest third that if he sell as he bought though he paid too dear etc and though the commodity be fallen etc fourth that as a man may take advantage of his own skill or ability so he may of another's ignorance or necessity fifth where one gives time for payment he is to take like recompense of one as of another the rules for trading were these 1. A man may not sell above the current price, i.e., such a price as is usual in the time and place, and as another, who knows the worth of the commodity, would give for it, if he had occasion to use it, as that is called current money, which every man will take, etc. 2. When a man loseth in his commodity for want of skill, etc., he must look at it as his own fault or cross, and therefore must not lay it upon another. 3. When a man loseth by casualty of sea, or, etc., it is a loss cast upon himself by providence, and he may not ease himself of it by casting it upon another, for so a man should seem to provide against all providences, etc., that he should never lose. But where there is a scarcity of the commodity, there men may raise their price, for now it is a hand of God upon the commodity, and not the person. Fourth, a man may not ask any more for his commodity than his selling price, as Ephron to Abraham the land is worth thus much. Footnote. This laying down by John Cotton of Commercial Ethics is interesting. In footnote, the cause being debated by the church, some were earnest to have him excommunicated, but the most thought an admonition would be sufficient. Mr. Cotton opened the causes, which required excommunication, out of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5.11. The point now in question was whether these actions did declare him to be such a covetous person, etc., upon which he showed... That it is neither the habit of covetousness, which is in every man in some degree, nor simply the act that declares a man to be such, but when it appears that a man sins against his conscience or the very light of nature, and when it appears in a man's whole conversation. But Mr. Keene did not appear to be such, but rather upon an error in his judgment, being led by false principles, and beside he is otherwise liberal, as in his hospitality and in church communion, etc. So in the end, the church consented to an admonition. Upon this occasion a question grew whether an admonition did bar a man from the sacrament, etc. Of this more shall be spoken hereafter. Being now about church matters, I will insert another passage in the same church, which fell out about the same time. Their old meeting house being decayed and too small, they sold it away and agreed to build another, which a workman undertook to set up for six hundred pounds. Three hundred they had for the old, and the rest was to be gathered by voluntary contributions, as other charges were. But there grew a great difference among the brethren, where this new one should stand. Some were for the green, which was the governor's first lot, and he had yielded it to the church, etc. Others, viz the tradesmen, especially who dwelt about the marketplace, desired it might stand still near the market, lest in time it should divert the chief trade from thence. The church referred it to the judgment and determination of five of the brethren, who agreed that the fittest place, all things considered, would be near the market but understanding that many of the brethren were unsatisfied and desired rather that it might be put to a lot they declared only their opinions in writing and respited the full determination to another general meeting thinking it very unsafe to proceed with the discontent of any considerable part of the church when the church met the matter was debated to and fro and grew at length to some earnestness etc but after mr cotton had cleared it up to them that the removing it to the green would be a damage to such as dwelt by the market who had there purchased and built at great charge, but it would be no damage to the rest to have it by the market, because it would be no less, but rather more convenient for them, than where the former stood, they all yielded to have it set by the marketplace, and though some remained still in their opinion that the green were the fitter place, yet for peace's sake they yielded to the rest by keeping silence while it passed. Footnote The green included the present site of the old south church. The new church was finally placed at the head of the present state street. In footnote this good providence and overruling hand of god caused much admiration and acknowledgment of special mercy to the church especially considering how long the like contention had held in some other churches and with what difficulty they had been accorded seven september at the court of assistance one marmaduke percy of salem was arraigned for the death of one blank his apprentice the great inquest found the bill for murder the jury of life and death could not agree so they were adjourned to the next court and percy was let to bail by the governor and some other of the magistrates after the course at the court of december the prisoner appeared and the jury being called had further evidence given them which tended to the clearing of percy yet two of the jury dissented from the rest who were all agreed to acquit him in the end it had this issue that these two were silent and so the verdict was received the cause was this the boy was ill-disposed and his master gave him unreasonable correction and used him ill in his diet. After the boy got a bruise on his head, so as there appeared a fracture in his skull, being dissected after his death. Now two things were in the evidence, which made the case doubtful. One, the boy his charging his master before his death, to have given him that wound with his meat yard, footnote, met yard, a stick for meeting or measuring, in footnote, and with a broomstaff, for he spake of both at several times. And the other was that he had told another that, his hurt came from the fall of a bow from a tree and other reference, there was none fourth at the general court, etc., the inhabitants of the upper part of Pascataquack v Dilver, etc. had written to the governor to offer themselves to come under our government. Answer was returned them that if they sent two or three of their company with full commission under all their hands to conclude etc it was like the court would agree to their propositions and now at this court came three with commission to agree upon certain articles annexed to their commission, which, being read, the court appointed three to treat with them. But the articles being not reasonable, they stood not upon them, but confessed that they had absolute commission to conclude by their discretion. Whereupon the treaty was brought to a conclusion to this effect, that they should be as Ipswich and Salem, and of courts there, etc., as by the copy of the agreement remaining with the recorder doth appear this was ratified under our public seal and so delivered to them only they desired a promise from the court that if the people did not assent to it which yet they had no fear of they might be at liberty which was granted them those of exeter sent the like propositions to the court but not liking it seems the agreement which those of dover had made they repented themselves and wrote to the court that they intended not to proceed footnote here we see the stirrings of an impulse to come together which before long brought about the confederation of the colonies at which we shall soon glance in footnote at this court fell out some contestation between the governor and the treasurer footnote the treasurer was bellingham afterward governor in footnote nicholas treras being defendant in the cause wherein mr hibbins footnote william hibbins was a citizen of repute whose wife attained a tragic notoriety disordered in mind as hubbard relates general history of new england page 574 She was put to death as a witch in 1656. In footnote. Brother-in-law to the treasurer was plaintiff for five hundred pounds, which the searchers took from him in the ship, whereof Treris was master, and the defendant having answered upon oath, the certain interrogatories ministered upon him, and which were read to him before he took his oath, and the treasurer pressing him again with the same interrogatory, the governor said he had answered the same directly before the treasurer thereupon said angrily sir i speak not to you the governor replied that time was very precious and seeing the thing was already answered it was fit to proceed thereupon the treasurer stood up and said if he might not have liberty to speak he would no longer sit there the governor replied that it was his place to manage the proceedings of the court etc the treasurer then said you have no more to do imagining the business here than i at which the governor took offence as at an injury done to his place and appealed to the court to declare whether he might not enjoin any of his magistrate's silence if he saw cause the deputy governor at first apprehension gainsayed it but presently both himself and the rest of the magistrates for the deputies were without staying till the cause should be ended did agree that he might do so for a particular time and if the party so enjoined silence were unsatisfied he might appeal to the whole court who might give him liberty to speak though the governor had restrained him So the governor pressed it no further, yet expected that the court would not have suffered such a public affront to the governor to have passed without due reproof, etc. But nothing was done, save only the secretary and some one other spake somewhat of their dislike of it. Neither did it occasion any falling out between the governor and the treasurer, for the governor held himself sufficiently discharged after he had referred it to the consideration of the court, so as, if they did not look at it as a public injury, he was willing to account of it accordingly." There happened a memorable thing at Plymouth about this time. One Kesar of Lynn, being at Plymouth in his boat, and one Dickerson with him, a professor but a notorious thief, was coming out of the harbour with the ebb, and the wind southerly a fresh gale, yet with all their skill and labour they could not in three hours get the boat above one league. So as they were forced to come to an anchor, and at the flood, to go back to the town, and as soon as they were come in, the said Dickerson was arrested upon suspicion of a gold ring, and some other pieces of gold, which upon search were found about him, and he was there whipped for it. The like happened at Boston about two years before. Schooler, who was executed for murder, as before is mentioned, had broke prison and escaped before Winnisomet, but there he was taken with such an astonishment, etc., as he could go no further but was forced to return to Boston. These and many other examples of discovering hypocrites and other lewd persons, and bringing them under their deserved punishment do, among other things, Show the presence and power of God and His ordinances and His blessings upon His people while they endeavor to walk before Him with uprightness. At Kennebec, the Indians wanting food, and there being store in the Plymouth Trading House, they conspired to kill the English there for their provisions. And some Indians coming into the house, Mr. Willet (footnote: Thomas Willet, afterwards the first mayor of New York) in (footnote: the master of the house) being reading in the Bible, his countenance was more solemn than at other times so as he did not look cheerfully upon them as he was wont to do whereupon they went out and told their fellows that their purpose was discovered they asked them how it could be the others told them that they knew it by mr willet's countenance and that he had discovered it by a book that he was reading whereupon they gave over their design the people had long desired a body of laws Footnote. the body of liberties which at length came into existence in response to the desire of the people here referred to is a code of great interest, esteemed in its time comparable only to Magna Carta and the common law of England, and important in the history of constitutional development. It was mainly the work of Nathaniel Ward of Ipswich, a man of bright mind, well versed in the law, though cotton had a hand in it. A work of value here is Whitmore, The Colonial Laws of Massachusetts, Boston, 1889. See also Old South Leaflets, number 164, The Massachusetts Body of Liberties, with scholarly annotation by Edwin D. Meade. In footnote and thought their condition very unsafe while so much power rested in the discretion of magistrates diverse attempts had been made at former courts and the matter referred to some of the magistrates and some of the elders but still it came to no effect for being committed to the care of many whatsoever was done by some was still disliked or neglected by others at last it was referred to mr cotton and mr nathaniel ward etc and each of them framed a model which were presented to this general court and by them committed to the governor and deputy and some others to consider of and so prepare it for the court in the third month next two great reasons there were which caused most of the magistrates and some of the elders not to be very forward in this matter one was want of sufficient exposure of the nature and disposition of the people considered with the condition of the country and other circumstances which made them conceive that such laws would be fittest for us which should arise pro re upon occasions etc and so the laws of england and other states grew and therefore the fundamental laws of england are called customs second for that i would professedly transgress the limits of our charter which provide we shall make no laws repugnant to the laws of england and that we were assured we must do but to raise up laws by practice and custom had been no transgression as in our church discipline and in matters of marriage to make a law that marriages should not be solemnized by ministers is repugnant to the laws of england but to bring it to a custom by practice for the magistrates to perform it is no law made repugnant etc at length to satisfy the people it proceeded, and the two models were digested with diverse alterations and additions and abbreviated and sent to every town to be considered at first by the magistrates and elders and then to be published by the constables to all the people that if any man should think fit that any therein ought to be altered he might acquaint some of the deputies therewith against the next court by this time there appeared a great change in the church of boston for whereas the year before they were all save five or six so affected to mr wheelwright and mrs hutchinson and those new opinions as they slighted the present governor and the pastor looking at them as men under a covenant of works and as their greatest enemies but they bearing all patiently and not withdrawing themselves as they were strongly solicited to have done but carrying themselves lovingly and helpfully upon all occasions the lord brought about the hearts of all the people to love and esteem them more than ever before and all breaches were made up and the church was saved from ruin beyond all expectation which could hardly have been in human reason if those two had not been guided by the lord to that moderation etc and the church, to manifest their hearty affection to the governor upon occasion of some strait he was brought into through his bailiff's unfaithfulness, sent him two hundred pounds. There was now a church gathered at the mount, and Mr. Thompson, a very holy man who had been an instrument of much good at Acomanticus, was ordained the pastor the nineteenth of the ninth month. 10. December At the general court an order was made to abolish that vain custom of drinking to one another, and that upon these and other grounds one it was a thing of no good use two it was an inducement to drunkenness and occasion of quarrelling and bloodshed three it occasioned much waste of wine and beer fourth it was very troublesome to many especially the masters and mistresses of the feast who were forced thereby to drink more often than they would etc Yet diverse, even godly persons, were very loath to part with this idle ceremony, though, when disputation was tendered, they had no list, nor indeed could find any arguments to maintain it. Such power hath custom, etc. Footnote. We have frequent occasion to remark in Winthrop superstition and limitation of various kinds. With all this, he also had strong good sense, and that appears in this passage relating to the drink habit. In footnote mr ezekiel rogers of whose gathering of a church in england mention was made before being now settled with his company at Raleigh, was there ordained pastor etc three there were so many lectures now in the country and many poor persons would usually resort two or three in the week to the great neglect of their affairs and the damage of the public the assemblies also were in diverse churches held till night and sometimes within the night so as such as dwelt far off could not get home in due season and many weak bodies could not endure so long in the extremity of the heat or cold without great trouble and hazard of their health whereupon the general court ordered that the elders should be desired to give a meeting to the magistrates and deputies to consider about the length and frequency of church assemblies and to make return to the court of their determination etc this was taken an ill part by most of the elders and other of the churches so as that those who should have met at Salem did not meet, and those in the bay, when they met with the magistrates, etc., at Boston, expressed much dislike of such a course, alleging their tenderness of the church's liberties, as if such a precedent might enthrall them to the civil power, as if it would cast a blemish upon the elders which would remain to posterity, that they should need to be regulated by the civil magistrate, and also raise an ill savor of the people's coldness, that would complain of much precinct, etc., when his liberty for the ordinances was the main end professed of our coming hither. To which it was answered, one, that the order was framed with as much tenderness and respect as might be in general words, without mentioning sermons or lectures, so as it might as well be taken for meetings upon other occasions of the churches, which were known to be very frequent. Second, it carried no command, but only an expression of desire. Three, it concluded nothing, but only to confer and consider. Fourth, the record of such an order would be rather an argument of the zeal and forwardness of the elders in churches as it was of the Israelites when they offered so liberally to the service of the tabernacle as Moses was forced to restrain them. Upon this interpretation of the court's intent, the elders were reasonably satisfied, and the magistrates finding how hardly such propositions would be digested, and that, if matters should be further pushed, it might make some breach or disturbance at least, For the elders had great power in the people's hearts, which was needful to be upheld, lest the people should break their bonds through abuse of liberty, which diverse, having surfeited of, were very forward to incite others to raise mutinies and foment dangerous and groundless jealousies of the magistrates, etc., which the wisdom and care of the elders did still prevail against. And indeed the people themselves, generally, through the churches, were of that understanding and moderation, as they would easily be guided in their way by any rule from Scripture or sound reason. In this consideration, the magistrates and deputies, which were then met, thought it not fit to enter any dispute or conference with the elders about the number of lectures, or for appointing any certain time for the continuance of the assemblies, but rested satisfied with their affirmative answer to these two propositions, that the church assemblies might ordinarily break up in such season as people that dwell a mile or two off might get home by daylight, second, that... If they were not satisfied in the declaration of our intentions in this order of court, that nothing was attempted herein against the church's liberties, etc., that they would truly acquaint us with the reasons of their unsatisfiedness, or, if we heard not from them before the next court, we should take it for granted that they were fully satisfied. They desired that the order might be taken off the record, but for that it was answered, that it might not be done without consent of the general court, Only it was agreed unto that the secretary might defer to enter it in the book till the mind of the court might be known. End of section 12, 1639.